Welcome to DBC. Um, we're actually in our final uh, series of, or excuse me, our final series. It's all over after this. No, we're on our final message of this series called Field Tested. And maybe it's an oversell. And if you've been here for some of these talks, or maybe you've caught up online um, through our podcast, um, maybe you would think it's an oversell, but maybe it's not. But this whole series is about is how to not just survive, but to thrive through life's greatest challenges. Now, I'll be honest with you, the topic today to me is kind of If you would have said that this topic would be such a big deal to me, if you would have said this 10 years ago, I would have said, no way. Like, but because of some things that have changed in our culture, um, now you kind of see this as being so, so difficult. And it's just about being honest. Like, being honest is such a difficult thing today. So uh, this is the tension we're going to live with for the rest of this conversation this morning. And the tension is this. How do you tell the truth to the overly sensitive and easily offended? How do you do that? Carefully. Yeah, that's it. Amen. We're done. All right, let's eat. Um, A little bit more than that. But how do you tell the truth to the overly sensitive and easily offended? And, And that's the culture we live in, isn't it? It's like if you say something like, I'm offended, and then you get blackballed. Like, that's just like, oh, I'm offended. We, we have the, the right, quote unquote, to be offended about everything. So therefore, we are offended about everything. So how do you actually have difficult conversations? Like, how does that even happen? How do you have the conversation with the person you know you have to? How do you do that? Even if you know that they may or may not take it as well as you want them to, how do you have that conversation? How do you just tell the truth? How, how do you do that? I realize that um, I think we have a great example of, of maybe how not to tell the truth, but maybe some of us choose this route. Um, anybody in here American Idol fans? Anyone? 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 Nobody wants to raise their hand and say, yeah, we got a few. I, I personally was not a huge fan of that. It's just not really my vibe, that style of music, and there's just way too much hair and stuff that just goes on on that show that I just can't really get behind. But part of uh, American Idol is um, Simon Cowell, that whole personality. And if you, wanted, if you wanted to hear the truth, or maybe you're like a truth person, like he's your guy, because the word that, you, that many people use is like, it's brutal truth. That's just what he just bam, puts it out there, and he's like, do something with it, right? Uh, But I'm not a huge fan of that show, but I'm a huge fan of the auditions. Anyone else? Like, not even the show. It's like, once the auditions are over, I'm like, ah, I'm checking out. But I like the auditions. I mean, hello, pants on the ground. That's still in my head for a reason, looking like a fool with your pants on the ground. I mean, that's just, I could sing it if you want. I mean, it's, it's right here. I can't, it's just, it's on a loop. It has been ever since, but, you know, I mean, The auditions are great, but one of the things that just amazes me about these auditions is how in the world can some people know, or rather, how how many how come people can go into there not knowing that they cannot sing? It's like, doesn't someone love you enough to tell you the truth? Like, let me just tell you. Honey, baby, child, because that's what we do, right? Like, I just want you to know, ladies, that's what you do. And like, guys would be like, bro, like, that's what we would say. They'd be like, hey, you can't sing. Stick to like carpool karaoke or do whatever. Just do not sing in public ever. I realize it's corporate worship. Do it quietly, quietly, please, please. 
Like, I, I know, and it's a joyful nose to the Lord, and I, I get it, but it's just noise sometimes. But, you know, but it's like they get on there, and it's like, why is it that, that all of us have to be the judges? And that's what the auditions are. We're the judges. Why is it that we're all there, and we're like, you can't sing. Why is it that Simon Cowell has to be the bad person? And he goes up there, and he just like... You know, they get up there and he'll just look at him dead in the eye. I mean, he has no relationship with them, of course. And he just goes up there and he's like, that is the worst singing that I have ever heard in my entire life. Please never sing again, ever. Goodbye. <laughs> right? And then the person, they put their head down. They're just, they're shocked and amazed. Like, how in the world could this be true? No one has told me that I couldn't sing. As a matter of fact, everybody told me that I could. But I realize sometimes it's difficult to give the truth. It is. It's difficult to give the truth to someone else because if you give the truth to someone else, you always have to overcome some level of fear. It's, it's fear of what are they going to do? What are they going to say? Are they going to blackball me? Are they going to, which means alienate me? Are they just going to cast me away? Are they going to be so offended that in this, this particular with our students, most adults aren't in this, but if you're like really engaged in social media, particularly um, with younger folks, it's like you go on social media and you think there, there's always this fear. If I confront this person about something, what happens if, if they unfollow me and then they see that all, everybody else unfollowed me, so now you're alienated? It's just a modern way of alienating someone else. And you kind of feel like, no, now you're not part of us anymore, all because they told the truth. I realize it's difficult to tell the truth. As a matter of fact, there should always be some level of, of just kind of like, okay, there should be some level of, I don't know if I can do this myself. We should never be so eager to tell the truth. Like Simon Cowell, you'd like, you just put it out there and be like, goodbye. Like we shouldn't be those people. And some of us are those people. And, and if you are one of those people, you're like, I, I just, I'm the truth police. I'm just, I'm here because I, I, nobody else tells the truth and I want to tell the truth. You need this message. You need to listen because there's going to be some very practical application at the back end of this. You really need to listen to because this could be the reason why when you walk in the room, other people leave. This could be the reason why. This could be the reason why that, that you husbands, when you act out in, in a certain way, that your kids shut down. This could be a why, why when, when you go into the room and you've got so much emotion and, and just energy and you go in there and your husband kind of shuts down, like turns up the TV a little bit louder and kind of zone, this could be the reason why. It's because you haven't really learned how to have a difficult conversation. So I want to see, I realize that telling the truth is difficult. I also understand that the other side of that, it's difficult to hear the truth. Sometimes you can't handle the truth, right? Like sometimes that's the world we live in. It's, it's hard to hear that. I had one of these situations recently, somebody who, who loves me, who's deeply invested in me, but uh, had this conversation and there was something about my character that was not befitting Christ. It was like the old me, the fleshly me. Um, and in the, the conversation, it, at first I was like, I wanted to push back and be like, you're just totally wrong. But as I allowed it to sit just a little bit longer, I realized they were right. And my life was better for it. So it's hard to hear that because there's always some guys, particularly you, this, you always have to overcome your ego. When somebody actually tells you the truth about you, you're like, you want to puff up and be like, no, nah, bro, you don't even know what you're talking about. My marriage is fine. I'm like, your wife just left, bro. You know, like she's gone. She's actually at my house. Why do you think I'm here? You know, 
It's like ego and like, I can do this. And like John Wayne, no, seriously, quit, pretend, pre, quit pretending about all of that. Don't let your ego kind of get in, in the way. When it comes to difficult conversations or, or hard talks or, or deep truths, we're posed with the dilemma to either, of either offending a holy God and ignoring the truth altogether. Just ignoring it. But also in that understanding when you Christians are, when God is leading you to have a difficult conversation, if you avoid it, have you ever thought that maybe in those moments you're actually offending a holy God? The holy God who gave you life? The holy God that gave you salvation? The, the holy God who allowed you to be born again in him? The holy God who, who sent forth uh, the son to come to earth to lay down his life for yours? Do you think about that? That maybe you're offending a holy God just by ignoring that truth and saying, oh, it's going to be okay one day. Somebody else will do it. I don't want to do that. Ugh, it's too difficult. So we're posed with the dilemma of either offending a holy God and just ignoring the truth or trusting in God while receiving the truth for ourselves and others because part of this truth is sharing it but then also receiving it. And for us to have healthy relationships within the church, Particularly, if you're a follower of Christ, this directly pertains to you. There's going to be a part of this. If you're not a follower of Christ, there's going to be a part of this talk. Great application at the back end. You can kind of pick and choose what you um, want to apply out of that. But if you're a Christian, we have to live our lives and adhere our lives to the truth of the Scriptures. So we ought to listen. And what we see is the truth is, is not always easy to hear, but it's necessary to speak. Our main text this morning is 1 Samuel 12. I'll kind of tell you a little bit about this story, where we're going to find ourselves. We're going to see some more of the context in it, so I don't need to really belabor this. But this mainly takes place with uh, the people of God, and Samuel is God's spokesperson for God's people. And he himself is the last judge. A lot of uh, Theologians and commentarians think that he is the, the last judge. Um, if you were here last week, or maybe you caught that message online from last week, Hannah was his mom. So he, from birth, was set apart for the Lord's work, and he lived his whole life, um, particularly his, his mature life, leading God's people. And that's exactly the way God wanted it. So God would deliver a truth through him, and that he would then be the judge and, and kind of tell them the situation that they were in. He was often put in difficult situations of delivering hard truths to people who did not want to hear it, who were easily offended. Because the truth is sometimes hard to hear and it's sometimes hard to say. And he lived, and many of the Old Testament prophets lived in this tension. They lived in this tension. As a matter of fact, I could have picked but any prophet in the Old Testament and brought out this whole and brought out the same message. Because they lived in the tension of, of obeying God and delivering hard truths to people who didn't want to hear it. And that's what we find with Samuel. He's not perfect, but he does a pretty good job. We're going to see this, and we're actually going to go through uh, all of this chapter, but we're going to go just chunk by chunk. And I apologize, I'm not going to be able to go teach necessarily verse by verse and that kind of thing through this just because the the length of the passage. And we're actually going to eat later, um, unless you want me to just preach right through that too, which I can. I'll grip it and rip it, baby. We're ready. But uh, I'm just going to assume you don't. 
Um, I just called you all baby, and that was weird. Let's go. Um, sorry. How about we go to the Bible? How about that? 1 Samuel 12. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me, and I've set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. We'll stop right there. So you see a little bit of the context that now he's about to deliver a truth because the people of God were, were no more, they were no longer happy with having God as their king. Now they wanted a king like all of the other countries around them. And all of the other empires around them had earthly kings. So now the people of God, are dis, they're disregarding God himself and they're disregarding Samuel as being the judge and kind of prophet in this time. He, they are disregarding them. And now they said, God is not enough. Samuel, you're not enough. You've been here a long time. Thank you very little. But now we're moving on. We want an earthly king and his name would be Saul. And Samuel, now he tells us the context, and he's kind of laying the, the foundation, if you will, for the difficult conversation that he's having with them on his farewell speech. And he says, I've done exactly what you asked me to do. The Lord has honored your request, even though it's not the best for you. And the Lord has now given you that earthly king that you want. But be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you wish for. Then he says, and I think this is important. We're going to see this in a moment also at the end of verse 2. And he says, and my sons are here with you. My sons are here with you. So he himself has a family. And now his, his kids are actually siding with the, the people of God that are also disobeying God. So he's not even continuing. His kids aren't continuing on in the family line, so to speak. He's like, nope. My, my sons are with you, which also means that Samuel is alone. He's alone. Certainly has the Lord, but no other people siding with him. Verse three, here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whose Chevy have, never mind, it's not there. Whom have I cheated? Who have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make you shut my eyes? If I have done any of these, I will make it right. Their response, it's priceless. Verse 4, you have not cheated or oppressed us. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. So Samuel asks these rhetorical questions. And what he's doing in this moment is he says, my character is not going to get in the way of the hard truth that I'm about to tell you. And our character should not either. He says, have I done you wrong? Have I cheated you? Have I taken your donkey? Have I taken your ox? And their response was no. So he's, he's now coming forth and he says, then I should not be a hindrance with the truth that you're about to hear. Christian, take heed in this. This is good advice for you. Your character should not get in the way of the truth that you want to share with someone else. Your character... If it, is not, if it is not growing to be more like Christ, your character will show you to be hypocritical, which is an indictment, not only on you, but on the gospel that you are hoping to share with someone else. So he says that, that my character is not getting in the way, but this isn't even about him. 
Now he takes this and he's leveraging his character and he says, I want you to know that my character, my life, what I've done has not been a hindrance to the truth that you're about to hear. It's good stuff for us. Then he continues. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you and also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they say. So they're in agreement now. Then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your forefathers up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here because I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your fathers. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your forefathers out of Egypt and settled in this land. So now... He's introduced the idea in the first two verses, and he says, you've asked for a king, and there's going to be consequences for that because you're now disobeying God, and you don't want me anymore. You, you don't want God as king anymore. There's going to be, there's going to be some consequences. He says, my, my character is not getting in the way of the truth that I'm telling you, but then also he's starting to lean into the faithfulness of God. And isn't it so comforting to know that even in the moments when we're unfaithful, that God remains faithful? Amen. That is so comforting to me because I myself am not completely faithful. But God, even in my unfaithfulness, even when I desire to do right and I don't do right, he remains faithful. And that's what he's talking about here. And he talks about Moses. And he talks about some historical events that they would know so well that would be passed down generation to generation to generation. And it was just the continuance of the faithfulness of God. And he's saying, this message can be believed not only because my, my, my character, that you should believe me as being God's spokesperson, but you should believe what I'm saying because God has been faithful with you the whole time. Verse 9, but they forgot their God. So he sold them into the land of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hatsor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, we've sinned, we've forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths, but now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent them Jareb Baal, Barak, Yiftak, and Samuel, and he delivered them from the hands of your enemies on every side so that you lived securely. So also you see the continuance of God's faithfulness, but I want you to notice also that in the midst of this, Samuel's role is to simply share the truth. That may be your role with sharing the truth in conversations that you have to have. And in this, sharing the truth is not the same as fixing the problem or the person. That's not your job. Sharing the truth is not the same as fixing the person or the problem. And I'll tell you where we get this wrong the most. This is in marriage. I can't tell you how many times people have come into premarital counseling with a preconceived idea that their job is to fix their spouse. And let me tell you how many times that goes right. Never. Never. It's only conflict. It's only conflict that that brings. They're, they're, your job is not to, to fix the person or to fix the problem. Your job is just to share 
the truth, trusting that God is faithful to do what he said he would do in the situations that he's bringing about. That's our job. That's our job. Maybe we see an additional role here at the end of this passage, but that initially is our job. That's our responsibility. But sharing the truth is not the same as fixing the person or the problem. So if you're about to share a truth with a coworker, with your boss, with a friend, um, with your spouse, it's not with the mindset that now you just got to come in and fix them. Now it's your job to fix them or to fix the problem in them is to simply share the truth. That should relieve some of the burden so you don't take on more than what you ought to. Continues, verse 12. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you have asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if you you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your fathers. We're going to continue reading there, but I want to help you to understand some things, particularly about the Old Testament. You see these, these words, if and then, a lot in the Old Testament. And these are conditional promises that God has put upon God's people, particularly them, but I think there's something there for us to understand too. So in in this passage we just read, he says, if you fear the Lord and serve him, obey him, and do not rebel, and if both of you and the king who reigns over you, he says, if you do these things, good will come. But if you do not, consequences will come. It's the same truth that applies to our life right now. When we're to live as a, as a Christian, you live in accordance with the teachings of the word of God. The same thing happens with us. If you obey the Bible, you're going to receive blessings. Not saying you're just going to have it make it rain in your house. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is you're going to receive blessings. You're going to receive the favor of God. And there's so many ways that comes about. But if you do not, you disobey God, then you're telling God, you know what, God, you're not enough. And that means you're trusting in yourself. And the only way to unlock that is repentance, turning away from yourself and back to him, which will then unlock the favor of God on your life. Same with the Old Testament. Same with the New. Verse 16, now then stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. It is, it is not wheat harvest now. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call upon the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. This, these are the consequences of their actions. It's wheat harvest. So harvest time, the same thing it would be here. They have to go out and, and do the harvest, but if it rains, it ruins the harvest. So this would be a reminder for them that their disobedience would then be reflected in the very fields around them. Verse 18, then Samuel called upon the Lord and said, the same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our sins and the evil of asking for a king. See, now they realize the consequences. They're like, Samuel, now pray, now pray for us, please. Now we want you, Samuel. 
But, verse 20, Samuel replies, Do not be afraid. You've done all of this evil. Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. This is repentance. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is right and good. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, consequences. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. See, the most compassionate thing we can do is tell the truth. It really is. The most compassionate thing we can do for one another is tell the truth. So when being confronted, I want you to remember something. You both may not be right, but you both can be respectful. When being confronted, whether you're the person who's going to receive that that difficult truth or you're the person extending that difficult truth, you may both not be right, but you both can be respectful. See, in Christian community... This should be an expectation that we should know one another well enough to not just come in on Sunday morning and kind of like, you know, punch the clock and I did my church time and I did my, 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 my hand raising time and I did my laughing time, I did my crying time. And then you walk out these doors like you're not part of something bigger than you. Part of Christian community is this, this even though it is abrasive, of, of being able to be close enough with one another, that when somebody falls, another person notices. That when somebody's about to stray, that there's a group of people in, in close enough community, and then they say, no, 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 I want you to come back. I want you to come back. We should be close enough. But I realize that's difficult, and I think the main reason why we don't confront and why we're, why we're not completely honest is fear is fear. We're just, we're just afraid. We're afraid of, of receiving that hard truth because maybe we actually have to seek some repentance and maybe there's something about us that's not good and needs to change. There's, there's some fear of, well, what if you tell me the truth about me and I don't know what to do with it? What if you tell me this truth about me and it just reminds me of a deep regret that I'm already struggling with and what if it just drives me deeper in the hole that I already don't know how to get out of? And there's some fear. I I get that. There's also some fear on the other side and we just have to be really honest about this. There's some fear on the other side of, man, I just, if I tell them the truth about this situation, maybe they won't be my friend anymore. Maybe they won't, talk to me anymore. Maybe they'll just snub me. Maybe we won't be able to do lunch anymore. Maybe, or maybe our relationship will change. Maybe it'll change in a way that I just, I'm not comfortable with. And that is fear. I want to add some other scriptures into the, this equation. This one is 1 John four eighteen, and it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear. It drives out fear. I love that. Drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears has not been perfected in love. 
So there's no fear in love. This love that's being talked about in this passage is a love that is that one receives only from God. This is the, the, the self-sacrificing love that every Christian, if you're, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a true born-again believer in Jesus, you've committed your life to Jesus, this love is agape love. This is self-sacrificing love. This is the love and the reality that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And that becomes your basis of relationship with God. Not your performance, but the blood of Jesus. It's this love. You see, you don't have to fear the response of man if you're living with the love of God. You don't have to fear the response of man. How are they going to take this? You don't have to live with that fear if you're living with the knowledge and experiencing the love of God. Because when we do, because this fear involves punishment, what we do in those moments is we're taking our eyes off of Jesus and we're putting it onto ourselves. Because if you're a follower of Christ, follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, born again believer, if that's your story, that fear is something you should know nothing about anymore. Because you've experienced the love of God. And when you experience the love of God, you don't have to live for the applause of man. Listen to me, church. When you experience the love of God, you don't have to live for the applause of man. Because we're complete in him. I love this, this word, and I've highlighted it for you. Perfected, it means to make complete or whole. You see, the, the one who fears has not been made whole or complete in this love of Jesus which implies that if you've experienced the love of Jesus and you've accepted it in a personal way, that you should be living in light of that reality. Another scripture to add into this is 1 Corinthians thirteen six that love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. This is the love that should be so evident in our lives. In Christian community, this should be the, the, the most um, defining characteristic of every Christian community is love, a love of God and a love for one another and a love for all of mankind. But if you truly love them, you will tell them the truth. It seems easier to live with the long-term consequences of ignoring the truth than to face the temporary pain of the truth. You see, it, it just seems easier it just seems easier because of fear. It just seems easier to say, you know what? I understand that this is, I understand that this, this may happen and, and it's, it's okay if I don't tell them. It's okay. We, we can kind of convince ourselves that, that the long-term consequences are, are not as bad as actually what they actually are. And that's all rooted in fear. That's all rooted in Fear. And you, as a follower of Christ, you will never become the person that God wants you to be if you're living in fear. It just won't happen. You will never be made whole if you're living in fear. It just seems so easy. Human nature, our fallen nature, to live with the long-term consequence of ignoring the truth. 
and just say, you know what? They were going to divorce anyway. I, I don't know why they, I don't know why my kids ran out of the house. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just couldn't, I just couldn't connect with them. And it's so easy to ignore the truth that you probably should have some difficult conversations. You probably should be sitting across the coffee table from someone's, the dinner table with someone and telling them the truth because that is the most compassionate thing to do. Understanding that after you get past this truth, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. And then your, your relationship is restored. At the latter part of this passage, there's two things that Samuel says that he's going to do for the people. So he delivers the truth, but then he says, I would be wrong in not praying for you, but then also of teaching you what is right. And I think for us, maybe some add-ons to this is, if you're a Christian, maybe the add-on to this is, yes, I'm going to be willing to tell the truth, even though it's difficult, even though I want to just do the fight or flight thing. I just want to take away, I just want to be away from this. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to engage, but I'm not just going to engage with this hard truth. I'm also going to pray before I deliver it. I'm going to pray after it. I'm going to pray for the person. I'm just going to continue to pray for them, but also I'm going to show them some steps to make it right with God and others. That's what Samuel promised to do. He says, I'm delivering this truth because God wants me to. I'm also going to pray for them, trust God's best for them, and I'm also going to give them, I'm going to teach them some things to help them so they don't do this again. And uh, the main bit of application, we're actually going to draw from a pretty familiar text in James 1 verse 19 and 20. But what I I think we'll see in this is maybe a way that we've looked at this is not as good as what it should be. James 1 19 says this. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. So when it says brothers and sisters in the New Testament, this is talking to Christians. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, every one of you, All of us should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What I find so intriguing about this is oftentimes we apply this to us having the difficult conversation with someone. But what if we looked at it from the other side? What if we looked at it as maybe somebody sees something about our character that's not befitting Christ. Maybe somebody sees something and they need to deliver a hard truth to us. So maybe, maybe in those moments, maybe we should be quick to listen to them. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. See, this is not only for those who are speaking the truth, but the same truth applies for those receiving the truth. But we often only apply it to those speaking. You see, I need people in my life. And it's difficult. I I literally had this happen. I just told you this at the beginning of this talk. I had somebody do this, and I didn't like it. Internally, I was kind of wrestling. I was like, I don't want to hear this. I want to be right right now. I'm just, I'm assuming you're wrong. All of these, I didn't vocalize any of it, but it was all internal. And then I stopped, and, and, and I, not because I was preaching this message, because I've been trying to apply these principles and principles to my kids and those I counsel for years and years and years, to just be 
just quick to listen, say, okay, maybe, maybe I, I need to respect what you're about to say right now. I may not like it, but I need to respect it. I need to be quick to listen to you. I need to be to slow to speak. I don't need to respond right now. And then slow to become angry. You see, anger is a simple human emotion, but it's an emotion that needs to be in check with the Lord also. And the next verse actually speaks into that in verse 20. It says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see, the reason why that we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry as Christians is because the impulsive, explosive anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What would it be like if we, as a, as a body of believers, we just decided, just with, with the Christians who are here, what if, what if we just decided, you know what? I want to find one person who I'm just going to allow to speak the truth into my life. What if, if I'm not saying everybody and now everybody's in my business looking through my windows, getting all weird. I'm saying one person. Like one person. One person that you you gave them the right. You gave them the authority. You approved of them to be so close to you in community that when you were going off the rails, when you were doing something that was wrong, when your eyes were straying in the wrong direction, when your thought process was straying in the wrong direction, when your marriage was starting just at the beginning of the separation, maybe you gave someone an opportunity to speak some truth into your life. What would it be like for us as a community to say, you know what, I want, I want one person to help me to become more like Jesus. Just one person. What would that be like? You would have to go into it being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, I want to give a visual illustration of this. AJ, could you come up here? He has no idea he's coming up. This is awesome. I want us to leave on this visual because um, oftentimes what we think when it comes to a difficult conversation is we think that every difficult conversation, this way, like we're we're toe-to-toe, we think like every difficult conversation is like toe-to-toe, like combatant, posture like I'm I'm going at it with you I'm giving you this hard truth and you're just gonna you know you just got to take it that's that's what we think difficult conversations are and there are few times few very few times where that's reality but when it comes to Christian community it's not me against you it's us locked together for the same cause going in the same direction it just got weird taking my arm down (laughs) Thanks, bro. So, but it's us going in the same direction. He's not my enemy. He's not my enemy. He's my friend. And as a friend, as as a friend to him and he a friend to me, our job is not to be the combatant 
but to, to walk together in Christ-likeness. And if somebody strays in the wrong direction, that a brother or sister in Christ pulls us back. That's all it is. Thanks, bro. I won't do that again. That was weird. <laughs> but we have to retrain our mind that it's not you against the person, but it's us locked together, going the same direction together because that's what Christian community is. Forwarding the mission of God because we've been so loved by God that we would be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Would you pray with me?